In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Welcome to GirlfriendIt. We are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, founders of GirlfriendIt.com, a great place to connect and girlfriendify your life. And you know what? Who better understands the heartbeat of a woman than another girlfriend? I mean, that's why we need each other because we, we get each other. We get our quirks and our, you know, our twitches and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes I don't always get you. <laughs> well, I don't always get you, but I still love you. <laughs> Well, today we have a show that we've been excited about for quite a few weeks now because we'll be talking with a couple passengers and an air traffic controller from the U.S. Airways Flight 1549, the Miracle on the Hudson, that went down last year. I believe it's, it's right around their one-year anniversary. I think it just they just happened in, in January, January 15th, and um, we, we've been excited about this because there's so many, you know, we've all read so many stories, but to actually hear, you know, and, and you think of those things when you fly, so it's going to be a good show and just, just hearing their heartbeat and their experience. And, you know, two um, operating words that we like to use um, is silly and significant. And that kind of, we kind of put life um, experiences in one of those two categories. Sometimes they're in both. But life is full of moments that just reflect those words. And uh, we've mentioned many times on the air that we love to laugh. And we love to laugh very often. Yeah, laughing, I think, is our, is our core value. <laughs> It would be our mission statement. I think what we really want to accomplish in life, and we want to just be able to, to laugh because there there are so many hardships and so many interruptions in life, and if you can't just step back and have that time to be able to laugh, um, it can really get mundane and, and hard and, and sink you. You're going very serious I know. you're talking about the laughter. Because <laughs> then your ship will sink. <laughs> well, you know what? And sometimes it's like we always say we don't really ever want to grow up, and you just want to... Just keep that childlike um, attitude where you can just laugh, laugh at yourself, laugh at, laugh at life, and just to create humor. And so those are the very, there's some silly um, times that you can create in life that also become very significant in life. And we like to call these times life interruptions, life interruptions. And we also talked about those life interruptions um, becoming your pearl because of, of what, what takes place. But when you said that, I, I think of, the, the other day when um, a life interruption happened with you as you um, are dealing with some of these hot flashes, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if anybody out there can relate to that time in life. And, and Patty has not gone through the, the uh, hot flash stage, and I can't wait for her to because she has mocked me. And, and it, was, it, it, it is really sad because those of you that, that are out there that have experienced that, you can feel my pain. It is so not fun. And, uh, I mean, when you just feel that, 
that rush and you just feel that, you know, the, it just starts welling up and you have no control over it. And in fact, the other day we were in a meeting um, with a couple of business guys and, you know, having the significant talk and all of a sudden I could feel it coming. And there's this, you, you're just along for the ride when, once you start feeling it. And I found myself like talking faster because it's like in, in your head you're going, well, maybe if I talk faster, they won't notice. <laughs> And, um, Talk faster and louder. Yes, and I kept doing that. And I remember I had a piece of tissue, and I started blotting my face a little bit, trying to be like, they won't notice. If I keep talking, they won't notice what I'm doing. But then you didn't let me get away with it. <laughs> well, you had, like, pieces of tissue all over your face. <laughs> I didn't realize the tissue was sticking you to my shredding. face. Yes. <laughs> so not only did you have the hot flash and the sweat dripping down, you had little pieces of tissue all well, over your face. And at that point, face. I had to name it and claim it. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. I think I named it and claimed it for you. You did. You, you paved the way for me. And, you know, sometimes when you have those interruptions, you just have to put it on the table and go, okay, this is, what's, this going is on. what's going on right now. And then we all laughed about it, and then we went on. Because so many times we want to hide those, yes. and it makes it worse. I, I think it actually made it better because it makes you so relatable when you're dealing with pain. It's like, okay, we can, we can relate here. I can't wait for payback for you on the hot flash. Do you have – do they come on with – are they stress related, or do they come on? Anytime? No, they just come on anytime. You just don't, you know. All of a sudden, it happens, but um, and they're getting under control. <laughs> so, and, and I'm so glad because they're not fun. But well, you have um, that was kind of my silly life interruption story. But you have a significant life that kind of ties in with what we're talking about today because you were a flight attendant in your other life. Yeah, in my prior life, and uh, it's interesting because of that life interruption that took place with me, it, it actually also took a career change, and that's what happens many times when we have what we call life interruptions that, that create you into that, that pearl, and you use your life experiences. Hey, you to, keep saying a pearl. People might not understand why we're saying a pearl, because the, the pearl goes through a lot. A pearl goes through a lot, and it, it's because of the interruptions and the irritants in life that in, in the oyster that creates that beautiful... You know, it starts off like a grain pearl. of sand, and it goes through a lot, and finally becomes that exquisite pearl. Yes, I don't think it's a sand, though. I think that's what we we learned as a child. I think it's actually like an amoeba or something. <laughs> all right, I don't know if that's better or it's not. A creature inside okay. the oyster, <laughs> and we're all the pearl part. We're all beautiful creatures that that turn into a pearl. We're all amoebas or, or sand or something, but um. Yes, my interruption took place on an airplane. I was flying from Nevada to Oakland, and I guess it's called a mountain quake where the, the airwaves, like, hit within the mountains, and it was like Godzilla took over the, just, like, took a whack out of the tail of the aircraft, and it just dove into this air pocket, and I was standing in the back of the plane one minute, and the next minute my head was going into the exit sign in the ceiling, and then side to side on the aircraft doors, so it was like a little rag doll being thrown around in the back, and I went down, and the um, the galley cart fell on top of me, mm. and then a couple passengers, once the plane finally went into um, a normal mode, a couple of the guys uh, in the back rows got up, and they moved the air, the carts that were on top of me, they, they took them off. But um, because of that, I went through some fun surgeries and back surgeries, and I was no longer able to be a flight attendant, but then I was able to be a flight trainer and teach emergency procedures and with the pilots and the flight attendants. So it turned into an incredible thing. But at the time, it's devastating you oh, know, yeah. when you go through those Painful ways. in many ways. Yes, <laughs> and truly um, devastating. But 
it is always interesting when you look back at those significant interruptions, how it really does usually change your if life. If you can get good. beyond the moment in some of them and go, okay, there's, there's, there's some, there can be good in this. At the time, you can't see that. But if you can get past that. But it's interesting with your experience when we travel and we get on a plane, and I didn't realize till for a while that you are always so aware of the, where the exit aisle is how many rows we are from front or back. I never pay attention to that. Yeah. I just get on the flight and get in my seat, but you can tell me exactly how many rows away we are. You just intuitively know that. Well, it just becomes a part. It's a habit. It becomes a part of who you are because when you, you, you know, fly every day, you sit down. It's kind of fun because we make a game out of that. I always yeah. make you close your eyes and go, where's the nearest exit? <laughs> <laughs> so you're like... Oh, man, okay, it's like I think like five rows behind me or, you know, and it'll be, we'll be right at the exit where it's like right to your right, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that is a good game because even in this situation when the, the plane lands, sometimes if it's at night and it's pitch black or there's smoke going through the cabin, that, that's also what can save your life. And I, I know this, this is not my temperament at all, but when my kids were a little smaller, we used to actually do fire drills as well. Where you really um, <laughs> you have them go down the stairs and then go to the best. Exit. That is not your temperament, it's but not. that is a smart thing to do, actually. Because I think so many times we think we're so immune from yeah. tragedies or from these life interruptions. Yeah. And I know I get on a plane and they go through, you know, when you sit in the um, with the exit row and they're like, you know, do you, you understand, understand English? Yeah, do you understand English? Do you understand all this? And you go, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, wow, I don't know if I really because you don't, you just kind of go. I'm not going to have to use this. Yeah. Well, an airplane, it, it does burn in 90 seconds, which when you think about that, um, that's pretty fast to get that many passengers out of there. And yet they had 155 passengers on flight 1549, and they evacuated it in 90 seconds. They did everything that they were supposed to do. I mean, that is what's amazing when you think about it, because you know how long it takes to deplane a plane. I know. I mean, you sit on the tarmac forever waiting yeah. for everybody to go down the aisle, so to get that many people off that quickly... That really requires teamwork and people knowing what to do and just kicking it in in an emergency. And I think so many times in life, um, we, you know what, it's like, do you, do you kick it in when, when you need to? Mm-hmm. And so many times you do. Mm-hmm. You don't really understand what you're doing. Um, I know that for us, when you talk about these life experiences and these life interruptions, I know one of the a significant for, one for us was when we lost our mom yeah. about 10 years ago. And you, you lost your mom through um, a mass shooting, a murder here in the Valley that was really, it was, you know, it was all over the news and it was those things. And I lost my mom to cancer. And as a result of that, we formed a friendship. And we, we say our friendship, you know, fun with a purpose is our friendship. Mm-hmm. And we've just been, you know, on this thing wanting to, because our mom's left an incredible legacy of, of friends. And we wanted to help other women. So that's kind of how Girlfriend It kind of got going. So the past 10 years, we've really been on a mission to just really connect women and help them discover who they are Almost and have fun. An obsessive mission, I would say. Our last decade, we always laugh that uh, really God collided our worlds together. And, you know, at the time, once again, it's a huge interruption. But looking back now, you go, I, I wouldn't change it for, for anything. It has truly been a decade of um, something beyond what I would ever imagine that my life would be. I know, and we learned a lot from that. I mean, we learned several things, like don't take life for granted. Mm-hmm. And we thought it because our moms were young when they died, and we weren't expecting that at all. Um, and don't take people for granted. And you start realizing what really is valuable in your life and what is really significant mm-hmm. and really what means. You kind of prioritize your life when certain life interruptions happen. 
and it makes you take take inventory and, and take stock. And um, well, I know even one of our um, guests that was a survivor from the flight, one of the comments he made, and I loved it, he said, sometimes your life can change very quickly, and sometimes it takes a long time to change. And it's so true, depending on that interruption, yeah. it can be immediate where the next day you go, I am doing something different today, or it can take a decade to, to figure out that my life is is short. And so that's why we're so excited to talk to the survivors um, from Flight 1549. We also have an air traffic controller. Um, just to go beyond what takes place when that runway, um, the life after the runway. So stay tuned. We are so excited for our next This is Girlfriend it on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. Critical thinking in the real world. What does it take to get ahead and stay ahead of the curve in this ever-changing world around us? Critical thinking in the real world with Janet Hens. Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central on Togginap. Starting November 4th, Janet Hens is a college instructor, speaker, writer, wife, and mother of three young children. She also has her Master's of Arts in writing from Johns Hopkins University. Janet began her career working for a congressman on Capitol Hill, then moved over to lobbying when he retired. It was through these jobs that she learned about the power of grassroots initiatives, media relations, and public speaking. And then she honed these skills when she became a college instructor. Today, she artfully balances work with full-time motherhood. In the show, Critical Thinking in the Real World, Janet will discuss hot topics and the critical thinking necessary to assess them. Her passion for education impacts her daily life and she'll share that in every show. Critical thinking in the real world with Janet Hens Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central starting November 4th on toginet.com Get ready to get busy with Getting It Done. Getting It Done with Jill Staroshevsky. Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on toginet.com We'll be bringing you moms and dads who are getting it done. Parents who have a lot on their plate but still manage to go that extra mile to accomplish things that they have long dreamed of. Well, how do they do that? Well, that's what this is for. The goal is to educate, motivate, encourage, and support the multitasker in all of us. Whether it's that book that you've been meaning to write, that business that you've been hoping to start, that dish that you've been striving to master, getting it done is here to help make it happen. Motivating you to get started, encouraging you to keep going, providing tips and advice on how to keep the kids happy, healthy, and safe while getting it done and done well. Learn from fellow moms and dads who are getting it done and learn about yourself along the way. It's Jill Staroshevsky and Safety Mom Media bringing out the stars in all of us. It's Getting It Done with Jill Staroshevsky Wednesday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Welcome back. We are so excited about this show. We have Denise Lockie. She was a passenger from Flight 1549, um, the flight that went down a year ago in the Hudson. And Denise, how are you this afternoon? 
I'm absolutely wonderful. I'm in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida, enjoying my friends on a little mini vacation. Well, hi to you and your friends. Yes. I hope all your girlfriends are listening. They're going to be riveted by you today, Denise. (laughs) Absolutely. Everybody's listening. (laughs) Well, we just want you to share a little bit about what took place um, on that Flight 1549 and, and most People have heard about this situation, but give us just a little background. And, and, and too, we are, we are so grateful that you would join us, and even you must be on vacation in Florida or something, and say you would take time out to do this, and we know you probably have shared this story so many times, but it's like we are so just so interested and excited to hear you speak. And eventually we'll let you speak, but I have to say, <laughs> you're always on vacation. Every time I talk to you, you're somewhere traveling, so good for you. Anyway, now we'll let you speak. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, last year I started off on a travel, a business travel, and I was returning from LaGuardia back to Charlotte on January 15th, the now famous flight 1549, piloted by Captain Chelsley Sullenberger and Jeff Skiles. And it was a very, very routine day. It happened to be very, very cold in New York, and I was hesitant about leaving because they had a lot of bad weather earlier in the morning at the Eleventh hour, I decided to go out to LaGuardia and and get home. We always like to get home after we've been on a business travel. Boarded the plane. Everything was fairly routine. The skies were crystal clear, although it was the coldest day of the year. Sat on the tarmac for quite some time, talked to my seatmate, talked about the upcoming inauguration in Washington, D.C. We agreed to disagree. And just basically was ready to go home. About 90 seconds into the flight, there was a huge explosion on board that took my breath away, and I believe every other passenger on board. It was something that you're not accustomed to hearing while you're climbing out of LaGuardia. So it was definitely out of the ordinary. Wasn't? Did you hear bumps and stuff sometimes that you that you knew that there this was something different? Oh, absolutely. I knew it was uh, very critical. I fly frequently for business and pleasure, and it was nothing that I had ever heard or had ever seen. Plus, the cabin was engulfed with smoke, and there was an incredible stench. At that time, I had absolutely no idea what it was because I was unaware of what was happening. Okay, I just got to ask you, does your heart start racing at that moment? Are you realizing, are you fully, are you aware that, okay, this is not good, and does your heart, I mean, what, what happened? Well, everything was in slow motion. Your heart starts racing, your palms start to perspire, your mind goes into overdrive, but everything was very, very slow. I started looking around at the passengers to see what their reactions were. Isn't that funny? No matter how old we are, we want to compare ourselves to others, even down to our emotions. I find that just so intriguing because you always do that. You go, okay, how, how how are the others experiencing this situation? Absolutely. I looked over Caddy Corner. There was a first officer from American Airlines sitting in 3D, and I looked over and was watching her expressions because I figured she would know what was going on, and she was dazed and looking all around. And I remember after it seemed like an eternity, which was probably a matter of another 90 seconds, I looked at her and I said, are we going to crash? And she nodded her head, yes. Wow. And I became very alarmed. I mean, I was very calm and very at peace with myself. I didn't go through all the questions of why my life did not flash in front of me. 
I thought about my family. I thought about my sister and my father and my coworkers and my friends. And I thought about a lot of very positive things, but I also thought about the reality that I was not going to survive a plane crash. Mm. So you do get a little bit emotional, but I knew that I had to be strong for my seatmate as he was for me. And I was just going to let everything play out the way it was going to play out because I had absolutely no control. I had to do exactly what was in the cards to do because I couldn't change anything and I knew that I couldn't change anything. I did, however, have a little bit of hope in the back of my mind that we were going to make it back to LaGuardia. Obviously, that didn't quite happen. Right. Because you were only like a minute and a half into the flight at this point, right? Yes. The birds hit uh, 90 seconds into the flight approximately. Wow. Now, Denise, at, at this point when you're going through all those emotions, uh, was your first emotion just to pray to God and be like, okay, uh, you know, this is my come to Jesus moment, or do you, are you thinking I need to grab my cell phone and make contact with a loved one? What's your, what's your first reaction? Um, actually, it was more of, oh, my Lord, what is going on? I really didn't consider calling anybody. I just didn't think it was the right time to pick up my cell phone mm-hmm. because it had been stowed. Right. So that was that never even crossed my mind. I was more concerned about the safety on board the plane and if I could get off the plane, if we survived. You know, you, you think of everything. Yeah. But I, I never, ever thought about getting my cell phone out and calling anybody. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to alarm people. Well, and, you know, you do, sometimes you don't want that um, that that trauma voice, you know what I mean, where somebody, that's the last voice they hear, the mm-hmm. voice tone, it's just that, you know, in that state. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that's what I was thinking, or what I wasn't thinking. I, at that time, I don't even know what I was thinking. You have so many mixed emotions and so many different feelings, and you're worried about the other passengers, and you're just trying to make sure that you're alert, and you're just trying to make sure that you're paying attention. Mm-hmm. So you're not thinking of, oh, you know, this is this is my time to pray or this is my, it's just you're thinking of how do you help others in that situation? Well, I did say a little prayer with my seatmate, Mark Hood, who turned out to be an ex-lieutenant in the Marine Corps and a graduate from the Citadel, and we did hold hands and pray. You guys literally held hands and just started praying out loud? Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely, which is very unlike myself because I'm a very spiritual person, but I'm not deeply religious. Mm-hmm. But, of course, I was praying. I didn't want to die. Uh, I don't think any of us really want to die, and especially when we have no control. I think sometimes if you're in a different situation, maybe a car accident or you have a long-term illness, it's different. You're prepared. I yeah. was not prepared on January 15th. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of a surreal thing. It's like your brain can't wrap around what's happening. You know, really comprehend all that's taking place, and you're trying to dissect it. I would think, and it would be hard. And what are what are other people around you? Is it is it noisy? Is it pretty calm? Are people kind of like in shock, just not saying much? Well, after the initial gasp, everybody was looking around. A few people in the back of the aircraft jumped up, and the flight attendants made certain they got back into their seats. There was some um, talk of there was a little onboard fire, an electrical fire. I know the flight attendant grabbed the fire extinguisher. A lot of people were praying. Some people were crying. I do know that several passengers did pull out their cell phones and called their loved ones and kept dropping calls. But you know, that's all after the fact. I mean, basically, when I was 
looking around for everything that I could see, people were just really quiet and, and very, very calm. People were at peace. Mm-hmm. It was pretty amazing how everybody conducted themselves. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting in, in talking to some of the survivors that there was this, um, like you said, that calm and also a sense of otherness where people were, were genuinely concerned about those that were around them, which I don't know if that's because it's, all of a sudden it's an emergency situation um, because we have a tendency to be so self-absorbed and just want, you know, to get ourselves off the, the flight or off of an emergency um, or out of an emergency, I mean. And it does seem to, that there was a, something different with this flight. And there, I wonder if it's because of 9-11, if now we're just in, our, if our culture is focusing more on others. What, what do you think of that? Well, I think I have to agree with you. And coming out of LaGuardia, everybody thinks about 9-11. And you have to remember, this flight was filled with business travelers, although there were a couple of families on board. I know after we actually ditched into the Hudson, there was a lot of chaos on the plane. That's when you saw a little bit more of pushing and shoving and climbing over the seats. But that was because people, including myself, were in sheer panic. Yeah. We had absolutely no idea where we were. I mean, I assumed we were in the Hudson, but I didn't know 100%. Yeah. Because I had lost my glasses in flight, uh. so I wasn't very certain as to where I was. But I do know once I hit the Hudson River and I looked around, my first thought was, A, the plane was going to explode, uh-huh. or B, I was going to drown. Right. So there was still a continuation of, I'm not in the clear as of yet, and when I finally realized that there was a possibility that I was alive, that it wasn't a dream. Uh-huh. And believe me, I thought it was a dream. I thought I would already had reached heaven. Right. But I clearly remember focusing on people that were in the water, and you could see them from a distance just trying to swim to any location, trying to get to the wing or to the raft. And I know that I pulled in two people, Stephen O'Brien and Pam Siegel, and those are expressions that you'll never forget. I will absolutely remember their facial expressions till the day I die. Wow. And you know what's powerful about that is I know Stephen O'Brien, when you were in the raft, you you encouraged him and said, uh, you're, you're going to be okay. And so many times in life, that's all we need. We need those advocates that, that just say, you're going to be okay, that encouragement. And you probably had no idea how calming that was. And that, that is even a lifesaver because people are, are in such shock. You know, if we just stop and think about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I saw Stephen over the weekend, and, and we still talk about the event. And I actually did not know who he was. I met him several weeks after the crash. And the minute I saw him, I recognized him. It took him about 30 seconds to figure out I was the woman that was telling him it was going to be okay. So we have an instant bond, and, of course, his family, his wife and his two children. It's just a special friendship. Well, we're going to be having him on just a little bit later, but coming up next, we're going to have to take a break real quick, Denise. Stay with us. We're going to have um, Patrick, who is an air traffic controller, um, that was involved with this flight. So we're going to be talking with him and um, just hearing more from you guys and just um, what you what you experienced. So thank you. Stay, stay with us. Okay, thank you.
This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. Inspiring women to be true to themselves. Get ready for Tracy Porter Radio on togginap.com. 2 p.m. Central, Wednesdays, starting November 4th. Tracy Porter, lifestyle, home and fashion designer, inspiring women from all over the world with their fashionably eclectic goods, savvy tips, style advice, and encouraging spirit. TracyPorter.com is home to her designer products and voice to thousands of women who flock to Tracy's daily blog for a daily dose of pure Tracy. And now she's coming to Toginet. All of Tracy's enchanting goods can be found at TracyPorter.com and her nationally sought-after mail catalog, Tracy Porter. Plus, you can find her here on Toginet. Tracy's awards, appearances, and accolades are too numerous to mention here. So, ladies, you've just got to come to be inspired, too. With Tracy Porter Radio, inspiring women to be true to themselves, to let their passions lead. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central, starting November 4th, on toginet.com. Get a jump on what your preschool kids need to know with Let's Get Ready for Kindergarten from Stacy Cannonberg. A mom told me this is the book I've been looking for. This book gives me all the information I need about what my kids need to know. And a private school admissions director said this is exactly what we test on. Google it, get it, and get ahead. Let's Get Ready for Kindergarten. Applauded and approved by parents and educators. Let's Get Ready for Kindergarten is a state-approved teaching tool. On sale now, in stores, or online at cedarvalleypublishing.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. You know what? I'm home a lot by myself, a lot. And when I'm home, I don't want to talk to and Ray, uh, we had to keep Lockie on the line, as well as um, Patrick, one of the air traffic controllers. And Patrick, we are so excited to have you on the show. Patrick. Hi, how you doing? Good. We're having Good. feedback there. I think Denise is having too much fun with her girlfriend in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so, Patrick, can you just share with us a little bit um, about that? And were you actually one of the air traffic controllers, or were you a passenger on the flight? I, hate your hair. I was actually the air traffic controller that was talking to Sully, the one that you, you heard on the, all the recordings. Oh, I was okay. the one working. Yeah, I was the one working LaGuardia departure. That is amazing. Now, is that an unusual thing all of a sudden to have that happen in your day? I mean, that's what you're all about, really, is um, controlling the traffic in the air. And when something like that takes place, it's like, wow, I, I, I get to react in an emergency situation? Or is it just you just go into um, autopilot? Or was it kind of you, you go into a little bit of that shock as well? Well, um, the shock really doesn't happen until afterwards. Um, because in my job, it's all about focus. And when something happens, you have to resolve it quickly. Um, that's just the nature of my job. Um, I, me personally, I've always been really obsessed with safety. Because I'm, I'm like more of a sensitive person. I know that if, uh, a, if I ever, on my watch, if anyone had lost their life, I would, that would devastate me. Wow, yeah. So I've always been so, like, obsessed with safety. And I got to the point 
before January 15th where I was so confident in my ability. I mean, I, within two minutes of sitting down on a position, I can tell you, like, what the runway configurations are, all the airports around LaGuardia, um, what the weather's like, and, you know, things like that, the important information that you have to know immediately during an emergency. So, so, Patrick, you're one of those obsessed people like I am. When you get on a plane, you know exactly where your exit is. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm a bit, bit of perfectionist, too, so. <laughs> well, and you know what? You're exactly who we want in the air, in the air <laughs> tower. Exactly. It's <laughs> pretty chaotic. Thanks. I would imagine, especially where you're working, that's just, um, especially now with so much traveling going on. It yeah, be... yeah, no, it's busy. But, the, you know what, I've been doing it for 11 years. I've actually been around air traffic all my life. My dad was a controller. Wow. And yeah, so, I mean, I've been around it. I'm used to it. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that comes natural to me. It's, you know, just the, um, the thought of working at crash always scared the hell out of me. Yeah. And... <laughs> You know, here I am, I thought, you know, I can handle any situation throughout me, and then January 15th happens, and you know what, no matter how good you are, how much you know, and how on you are that day, things can happen that are out of your control. Yeah. And that was, I think that was the scariest thing for me, is is dealing with that fact. I'm like, it doesn't matter how good you are, how much runways you can clear, how much airspace you can clear, he lost his engines, he's not going to make it to an airport, you know? And that's really hard, especially with someone like your temperament. Like Lisa said, we we want and and need people like you that are going to be the controllers. But on the yeah. other hand, when you don't have that control um, over things you just can't control, right? That that can really be stressful. And 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 on an uplifting okay. thought, you know the statistics: air traffic controllers, their lifespan because of the stress. <laughs> <laughs> I do not, but uh, I've known too many people who've retired and passed away too shortly after retirement. So I yeah. know it, it can't be that high. Uh, yeah, pr- pretty pretty extreme. But um, that is just amazing. So what was the first? Was it straight from the captain when you realized what was going on? Yeah, he. Um, I actually just had tried to turn him on course, turn him westbound on course, and I kind of blocked out part of his transmission where he was trying to say mayday. We both had keyed the mic at the exact same time, oddly enough, you know, what are the odds of that? Um, but my transmission was much shorter than his, so when I unkeyed my mic, I could hear him saying that, you know, he lost thrust and he needs to return to LaGuardia. Wow. So, okay, yeah, immediately Patrick, I, I start you... coordinating with the tower to clear, you know, just stop everything in the field. We stopped. At that point, we, uh, there were no more arrivals going in. Anyone who was on the approach started a uh, execute a go-around. That's where they start climbing. Instead of landing, they, they, you know, they start climbing up and going to a little holding pattern over LaGuardia. This way, you know, if he need, no matter what runway he wanted to land, it was open for him. Right. You know, there'd be no one in his way. So up in the tower, what, what is the atmosphere like? What are you guys, I mean, it's all attention on this, on this airplane, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I work in a, a TRACON, which is it's a, basically a radar room, and it, we work LaGuardia, Kennedy, uh, Newark, uh, there's other smaller airports too. We work a lot of airspace. Um, and, I mean, this, this all happened so fast that I, I couldn't even get a feel of what was going on around me really because I was so focused on the event and trying to find a resolution to the problem. Now, have you, um, ha- have you changed your perspective when you go back to, to work every day after you deal with something like that? Yeah, you know what? Um, I, I reached a point where I kind of was taking my job for granted. You know, it's like, you know, punching a clock, you go and you do your job and you leave. 
And then after this, it's like I have a, a better appreciation, you know, for what I do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, you're there. You, you, I feel like, especially now more than ever, I've met a lot of pilots since then, too, since the event. And now more than ever, I feel like, you know, we're a team. Pilots controllers, we're a team, and we work together no matter what, whether it be routine air traffic or emergency situations. You know, we function best when we work as a team. And that is such a great point because life is about teamwork, and so many times we get so possessive of our certain areas, and it's like in a case like this, it absolutely has to be teamwork, and that's what we heard so much even from the, you know, the, the crew that was on the plane, the flight attendants. Yeah. They, they were one, you know, yeah. acting in that situation, and you guys were all one, just doing what you guys were trained and knew you had to do. Exactly. Mm. And, I, and I think uh, this is a perfect, I mean, you know, it's called the, the miracle on the Hudson. And with 9-11, I think people are really realizing that we do need that teamwork when we're dealing with an emergency situation. And I believe that they're training differently now as well, whereas it isn't just about your position. It's about everything, you know, working right. together. And I, I think it's trickling even into the corporate world more so. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. To work as teams and not just on an individual, you know, level, that we really have to accomplish this goal uh, together. Yeah, what, uh, I could tell uh, you that. You, did you go meet with the passengers at, at any point? I mean, I would, I just, actually, I would want I, to I did, and hug and them. I did. It was uh, the, the year anniversary. I went to that um, in the city, and that was just an awesome event. It's the first time I got to meet. I met uh, Sully, Jeff and uh, the flight attendants several times, but I never really met any of the passengers until I went to the year anniversary. Uh-huh. And uh, it was just, it was awesome meeting them. I mean, incredible people and so nice. And I was, I couldn't believe how well they understood my role in it. Yeah. You know, because I think there's a lot of misconception about my role in the, in the event, but they were like experts. <laughs> and it's like, I didn't have to explain anything. It was great. It was such a relief. I'm like, wow, you get me. That was cool. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's like that instant bonding. I mean, you didn't even. Oh leave. yeah. It was oh, like yeah. you guys have experienced together something that was unexplainable that nobody else shared, and yeah, words needed to be said. Well, have right. you ever had anything like this happen before? Any other close calls or crashes that you have been a part of, or was this? Thank God, no other crashes. But I, I've worked several emergencies, um, and I, I recently had another one off LaGuardia departure, of course. Uh, not too long ago, like two months ago, where there was a smoke in the cockpit mm-hmm. and the plane needed to uh, return immediately. And this was different in the sense that the weather was really bad. It was right. a low ceiling and poor visibility. So there was no visual reference for the pilot to use. So he's relying on me totally to put him on you wow. know, a good instrument approach. Um, so there was a lot of pressure for, you know, for me to give him a good vector onto the approach and you know, get him in as quickly as possible also. Yeah. Well, we have someone um, that wrote in that wants to know if you have nightmares, um, especially I, I would assume with your temperament and the pressure you, you go through that it has to come out somewhere. <laughs> so Yeah, I, uh, I used to. I Thank God I don't anymore, but for I, I, it felt like forever I couldn't sleep at all because I would sleep and relive it. Um, wow. And, and that went on a long time. It took a lot, a lot of therapy to get over that. Okay, um, you did have, that's a good question then that they asked. Um, you, you did have to go through therapy then to yeah. get through that? Yeah, I actually had, I went to two separate therapists. Wow. To, uh, yeah, because I, I was, you know, I was, you know, I was in a really bad place. And I, even though I was taking time off from work and it wasn't an issue of me having to work under those circumstances, 
um, you know, I'm home and I just, all I think about is this event. I'm tired. I'm not sleeping. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's just, I, I, I don't know, for some reason, I kind of lost confidence. I think it was more confidence in the fact that, you know what, you're not so good that you can get a guy on the runway no matter what happens, you know. So dealing with that kind of hurt. And then, of course, when the tapes come out on the, uh, the TV, I'm like, the whole world is judging my performance now. Uh-huh. I had a hard time dealing with that. Because normally you don't get that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, That's, yeah. I bet you have a whole different way of looking at um, our troops as well, just the compassion there. When you think of that one situation that's, you know, truly playing in your head all the time. Oh, yeah, post-traumatic stress. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh, yeah. I, to I, deal with that post-traumatic stress, um, once you've gone through it, you realize how, how much they have to, you know. Oh, it's unbelievable. It. And, you know, just from from an outsider, you know, just, you know, being observing and, and reading all about it, we do appreciate your, your role and your job. And, and, and like you said, it's a team, and I think you're categorized as you're part of a, such a significant team, and you all did your part, and you did it so phenomenally well Thank that you. you were able to save everybody on that flight. And I think... That is such a positive thing for to you, to the to the crew, even to the passengers. That I mean, that was remarkable. And I think everybody looks at all of you who did your job that day and say, "Well done, we applaud you." So thank you very much. Outside looking in, I, I mean, if I'm on any flight, I want you in that door. <laughs> you know, because your heart shines through, and you can tell that you're attentive to detail and that perfectionism. And yet, uh-huh. you have such a heart for people, and that's such a winning combination. Right. Yeah, thank you. Well, we have one minute um, left, Patrick, before commercial, but um, okay. I know we get into all the professional aspect of what, you know, what was going on in that control station, but was there, on the personal level, do, do the air traffic controllers, do they start praying? <laughs> you want to no. know, like, what really <laughs> do people tap into in an emergency situation like that? No, there, there's definitely no praying. I've never seen... Uh, anyone pray at, at the job? I don't think it's that that type of atmosphere because everything's go go go. There's no time to to sit and reflect. Um, maybe afterwards, in their own time, you know, that's when when everything starts coming down and you're away from the radar scope. That's if someone was going to pray that that's when they would do it. Yeah. Well, that's just so interesting. Um, you know what? We are going into our break. Would you stay with us, though? We have uh, Stephen O'Brien that's coming up next. And you said you guys sure. know each other, right? Yes, I did meet Stephen. Okay, great. So stay with us. Thanks so much, Patrick. You're welcome. This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. Being frugal doesn't mean being cheap. And the Frugalitarian is here to show you how. Jody Olson is the Frugalitarian on Togginet, 3 p.m. Central, Wednesdays. This is the art of great living. It's just a matter of time before people start asking you to tell them your secrets to better style, bargains on food, home decor, and clothing. Your wants don't have to change, just how you acquire what you want. On the Frugalitarian, it's an uncommon mix of style. 
fashion savvy and earth friendly showing you great taste great style and great ideas for finding everything you want for nearly nothing i'm speaking from experience i live on a beautiful farm where i take care of sheep and do a few light farm chores for extremely low rent for more clever ideas on how to waste not and totally want not go to thefrugalitarian.com Join us every week for more information on how you can live better for less with Jody Olson. It's The Frugalitarian, Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Celebrate Green is coming to Toginet, Wednesdays at noon Central Time, starting November 4th. The mother-daughter team of Lynn and Corey will have you going green and loving it at no time at all. As heard on Martha Stewart and Disney Radio and seen blogging for HGTV, Lynn Caldwell and Corey Caldwell-Lipsum are unapologetic evangelists for greening every aspect of life, especially holidays and celebrations. Based on their book, Celebrate Green, they're putting the meaning in the greening with their simple, fun, eco-friendly, affordable ideas. From their start with green Halloween to tips, tricks, ideas, and projects for every holiday, you'll love Celebrate Green. You can check them out online, too, at CelebrateGreen.net and GreenHalloween.org for more information, the newsletter, the blogs, places to shop, cool extras, and so much more. So get ready to Celebrate Green, the radio show with Lynn and Corey, Wednesdays at noon Central Time, starting November 4th on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. All right, welcome back. We have Steve O'Brien, one of the survivors from the Flight 1549. Steve, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am. Can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. We, Steve, we also have um, Patrick, the air traffic controller, and you guys... Um... Yeah, I was listening. Hey, Patrick, how are you? <laughs> good, how are you doing? Good, good. Good to hear you. Okay, you, you have no idea. This has been such a compelling um, show, if we do so, say so ourselves. With you guys. But not because of us, because <laughs> of you guys. And we have been so excited about this show to have you guys on here, just to have you share your thoughts and your heartbeat. And we so appreciate how real you guys are and just sharing those emotions. We know so many people are going to benefit from this because they can just apply those same kind of tactics that you guys use where you just kick in and then you're just so real. So thank hey, you. I just want to say to Patrick, you know, um, he's a modest guy that, uh, <laughs> you know, he was, you know, I think that you know, everybody on the plane looks at him as the 156th passenger on that plane. Um, uh, there was an empty seat left. And, um, you know, his calmness and, and the way that he handled um, what was happening, and Captain Sullenberger will reiterate this as well, was just um, fantastic. And I think one of the reasons that uh, kept everybody calm, including Captain Sully, and just did his job fantastically. And, um, you know, can't say enough good things about, about Patrick and, and the job that he did that day. We're applauding you. We're applauding you, Patrick. We. Second that. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen, for saying that. And, Patrick, I love how real you were with just those emotions on um, wanting to be so in control. And then, like you said, then the whole world, you know, gets to see what took place, and you go, oh, wow. And so many of us, that's exactly, we put our masks on, and yet we all have these insecurities that we're not even able to, to share. And maybe if we really um, spoke in a genuine, authentic way about ourselves, we would be such a better world. Right, yeah. Even the teamwork you guys are just talking about that needs to be just, it needs to be so much about others, too. 
instead of just, you know, every, every person for themselves. Okay, you know what, Stephen, I wanted to ask you, um, when you and I were talking, and um, I, I also read a, a little, you know, some notes that you had, you talked about there was a woman with black hair at, at the middle exit that was telling you to grab your seat cushion, and you felt like she was an angel. And, you know, I, I just, I love stories like that where it's just out of nowhere, that's something that you remember. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I mean, um, after we stopped, um, and, um, surprisingly, you know, we were still, we were still there, um, and, and hadn't, uh, uh, you know, hadn't, uh, died or, or exploded or, you know, uh, we were basically still alive. Um, you know, everything got, everything got kind of slow and floaty and, um, but I was on the aisle and I'm, I'm kind of tall, so I usually sit on the aisle and, um. There were, uh, it was funny because I heard Patrick saying, go, 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 before. Um, that was exactly what people were screaming um, behind me. Um, I was in aisle 15, um, uh, right about the middle of the plane on, on the aisle. And um, <clears throat> the way the angle that we had come in, um, you know, the back of the plane had water come in immediately. And where I was, the water hadn't reached. I think it came in, it started about two aisles behind me. So people in the back were frantically yelling, go, go, go. Um, to get out, so you had to move, and you had to. It wasn't uh, as if you could get up and say, "Hey, geez, I think I'll, I think I'll go to the wing, or I think I'll go here, or whatever." I mean, you just get up and move and get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And um, as I stood up, um, I took one or two steps, and the door. I saw the door open on the left over the wing, um, one of the doors, and I, you know, I looked out and I saw the blue sky and, and the water, and, um, I, and people were bailing out um, as I as I walked up. I'm not sure if I broke stride, but um, it was surprising to see water. I don't know why. I mean, I knew we were in the water, um, but when, you know, you're in a plane and then the door opens and you look out and there's water there, um, it's just, you know, your brain can't really get, get itself around it. I just remember yeah. thinking, wow, I can't believe that there's water outside the door mm-hmm. um, as people then jumped into it. So you get these weird thoughts, you know, you kind of try to figure it out. Um, and then seeing the blue sky and, and, and the sun, it was just beautiful. I know I was going out that way. People were going out, and that seemed the place to go to get out of the way, to get out of the plane. At that point, you know, we didn't know if the plane was going to explode. It still smelled like smoke yeah. um, and um, or sink. Uh, you know, just getting out of the plane at that point, if you were at a door, was what you were going to do. Um, we're talking probably, you know, 15 to 20 seconds after after we crashed. Um so as I walked up, people were jumping out, and um, I kind of looked out there, and I saw a woman swim. Actually, in that picture that's on your website, I'm in the far right. There's two little heads there. I'm, I'm really? on, the on the far right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I was about to uh, – I, I walked up to the door and um, just wanted to get – had to get out of the plane. And I knew if I could get out of the plane, I could see my kids again. Um, and I figured I could, I could stay in the water um, for a little, the water seemed a better option at, at that point in the hierarchy of, of what had happened, what mm-hmm. what had just happened in the last couple of minutes. Um, so it, it seemed like the right thing to do, and I was about to jump out, and literally, I mean, all of a sudden, like right next to my the right side of my face, almost as if you know you see like drill sergeants yell at at at, at people in movies and stuff, kind of right up on their face. There was a, a woman there who said. Um, not yet, get a seat cushion. And I turned to the left, and there were two seat cushions missing, and stuff was happening around me, and there was one left on the aisle, and I picked it up, and I turned, and then uh, she said, all right, go. And um, 
I jumped out, stepped out on the wing and, um, just held the seat cushion up to my chest and, um, jumped in into the Hudson River like you jump into a swimming pool. Wow. And, uh, and you never saw this woman again? No, I, you know, I always wanted to find out who it was to thank her um, for, for telling me to get a seat cushion. And I, <clears throat> after, you know, everything kind of settled down and people started talking to each other and trying to figure out what exactly had happened, um, I reached out, uh, you know, I had a seating chart and I reached out to, I knew she had black hair, um, and I reached out to a number of people, uh, uh, women that had been sitting around that, that area, um, and, you know, told them the story. And I said, you know, I'm just wondering if this was you, was this you, was this you? And, um, nobody can, nobody, nobody recalls it. And, you know, I know it's high stress and it, it could have happened and people might have forgotten, but I just thought it was, um, um, you know, it, with the events that had happened that day, I wouldn't put, put it past that it was something, um, uh, you know, something beyond. Absolutely. It was a miracle. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, another, um, interesting thing is that, uh, <coughs> You said one of the guys, Dave, uh, you saw him putting his wallet so he could be identified. And yeah, I, uh, on the way down, I, yeah, he was uh, he was sitting two seats to the left of me, Dave Sanderson, and he uh, he was really, you know, I, I call him my play-by-play guy because, um, you know, after the bird sit, we crashed in four minutes, but there's a lot that can happen in that four minutes, and mm-hmm. the first thing that, uh, that I realized when we were in trouble, um, you know, after the hit, um, you know, something wasn't right, but then um, he turned out the window and he said, yeah, this plane, this uh, this engine is on fire out here. And um, <clears throat> then as we were going down, um, he was leaning over and, like, reaching onto the floor. And I remember that. I remember, um, you know, activity over there. Um, and it uh, turned out that, um, you know, he had said he wanted to, uh, he, I guess he travels with his wallet in a separate uh bag and he'd wanted to put it into his back pants pocket so in case um uh, you know uh, we, we did uh, crash and it was catastrophic that uh that you know people would be able to identify his body that yeah. is so interesting to even be aware of thinking about that <laughs> to think of it and you know another thing when you guys were all in the the life raft um you looked up and you you saw the captain which at the time you you didn't even know it was the captain you thought it was someone there for rescue and, and there are two questions, because Patrick, um, being from the air traffic controller's perspective, all of a sudden, are you totally cut off from, you know, the radio as they're trying to get out of the plane, so you really don't know what's going on now? Yeah, I was completely in the dark. Right after it happened, they uh, took me off position, and they kind of, I went into the union office and just had some, someone sit with me. And I was just kind of sitting there in a daze, daze slash disbelief what just happened. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I didn't have any TV. I didn't have, there was no updates on, oh, my God, it looks like everyone's going to make it. I was just kind of sitting there in a bad place. So and are you unaware at this point if people survived? I am totally unaware. I actually thought that we'd be lucky to have a couple of survivors at that point. Because um, um, I, I, up until now, I never thought a water landing was feasible with a, a big jet airline. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what you always hear is that a, the ditching is the worst because it's just going to, and it's, like hitting, and it's like hitting cement when you land on that water yeah. glass. Yeah. It just shreds it. Well, and then that's what, uh, with Stephen, you saw the captain, and he was very calm. Um, he's just standing there in his suit. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I had, uh, I had been in the water I, I had, after I jumped in the water. And it's funny, Patrick, when you say uh, what just happened, because I remember feeling that same way once I got in the water and I turned and saw the plane next to me, um, and I looked up and, 
you know, Hell's Kitchen Manhattan was right on top of me. There was two Rangers can't grasp this all. And I remember thinking what you just said, Patrick, is like, wow, what, you know, it, it happened so fast, but it also seemed to go so slow. You know, time exactly. sort of stood still, especially um, when it was going on. But um, I remember, you know, having those feelings like, <clears throat> what just happened? Okay, my plane just crashed and, uh, and I, I didn't die. So what, you know, what just happened? But so I swam a little bit and I got, and then uh, the, the life raft opened off first class. It had been delayed in opening, um, and a couple of us, uh, people slid down into it and then called us over from the water. And um, I saw people swimming over to it, so I ended up swimming over to it. And then um, it, being in the life raft, I guess I was probably getting hypothermic. I mean, I just I, I describe it as being on a merry-go-round, like you see something, and then you go around again, and you see it again, and you're kind of going in and out. But one thing that was clear, um, and this was after some boats had come on the other side, so, so um, you felt okay, um, but still just scared and, and uh, you know, wanting to, get at it, wanting to get out of the situation. And um, <clears throat> I looked up, and I was all the way at the edge of the life raft, um, furthest from the plane door, but there was a gentleman uh, leaning down um, with a black, uh, perfectly pressed uh, uh, coat on, and um, uh, almost like a little smile on his face, like a, a very much calming presence. And um, with a little clipboard underneath his arm, and he was kind of looking at the at the uh, life raft and pointing his finger and and trying to get a count. And then he was like kind of turning back into the plane and talking to somebody in there and coming back in. And there was um, such a you know I looked at this guy and I thought there's such a sense of uh, otherness to him and control that I thought you know what Stephen we are going to so have to interrupt you and we are so sorry because the show we have like ten seconds it's literally. Oh, we would love to get you guys back on another day. No and problem. We thank you. And thank you so much. Join us at girlfriended.com to see, hear more about their story and to see the picture. And we just thank you guys so much. You're welcome. Okay. No problem. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Okay. Right. Take care, Patrick. You too, Steve. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriended, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. 